This is the third talk I've given on Sunday mornings about preparing for heaven. And to add potency and relevancy to what I preached about two weeks ago, coincidentally, Queen Elizabeth II has recently departed this world as we know it. She's gone. And her funeral will not only be a family reunion, it will be a shared worldwide reunion of international leaders and many others. And many of us will join through the technology of TV. Thankfully, I think the Queen was properly prepared for heaven. There are many indicators that she had a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And I would like to think that other members of her family might also look up in the days to come. Today, we live in a scary world. It's not probable that Putin will initiate a nuclear war, but it is possible. And we, like Queen Elizabeth, must be properly prepared for heaven. Otherwise, it will be the biggest mistake we've ever made in our lives. I showed you last week and the week the previous time a list of FAQ questions about heaven. And we've so far talked about seven of them. Last time, I discussed number six and number seven. Well... In that original list, I think I had 17 of them and we don't have time to do 17, but I'll try and cover most of what I'd hoped to do. I've shown the extra ones that we won't be looking at, thanks Mary Ellen, in grey. So today, in 25 minutes, I'll try and answer those that remain in gold font. So, number one, well, actually, it's number eight. What will my body be like? Here's a partial answer to FAQ number eight. This question could itself take a whole sermon or more. But quickly, we'll be no less human than we are now. God has made us in his image with thinking and memory, feelings, Imagination, convictions, desires, affections. And this image of God is a likeness to him mentally and morally and socially. Humanity is unique amongst all God's creations, unlike the animals, having both a physical, material body and an immaterial soul-spirit. Mentally, humanity was created to reason and to choose, to have intellect, freedom, creativity. And morally, our conscience was to be a compass that leads us to righteous thinking and behaviour. Socially, Every time someone marries, 
makes a friend, genuinely hugs a child, truly worships in church. He's demonstrating the fact that we are made in the likeness of God and we can truly love. So in heaven, your mind will be sharper, keener, more curious than it's ever been before. Your choices will be wiser. And you'll be totally surprised by your creativity. And your character will demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, loyalty, gentleness, self-control. Everything about you as a person will be amplified and cleansed and enhanced. You, you'll have a body called a spiritual body. And so far the only demonstration we've seen of that was Jesus when he came back after the resurrection. They could see him, they could hear him, they could touch him. But he could vanish like that or reappear like that. Well, that's all I can say about what will your body be like in this time. Well, will I lose my identity? Number 11. In heaven, in heaven, everyone will maintain identity. This is clear, I believe, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We'll be a diverse company of recognisable individuals. The New Testament, I think, clearly illustrates what our and how our identities will be unchanged. Example of identity recognition. Matthew 8, verse 11. Jesus spoke, incidentally, about another reunion event to happen later in our history. As a captain of the Roman army came to him and, and asked Jesus to heal his servant, the, the captain of that Roman army demonstrated so much faith, he said, don't bother coming to my place, you can just snap your fingers. And Jesus was stunned by the faith of this foreigner. And Jesus declared that many like this military officer will come from all over the world and will take their place at the reunion feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob will be there, it seems, as recognisable persons. And therefore, on the same logic, we will be there too. And all redeemed people will maintain their identity forever, only in a perfected form. And we'll be able to have fellowship with Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Daniel and David and Ezekiel and Peter and Paul. They will still be themselves and we will still be ourselves so 
Another example of that, the appearance of Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration shows that even though these others had died centuries before, they still maintained their identity. Peter and James and John there with recognised them, which implies that we'll be able to recognise people we've never seen before. We will know everyone and enjoy their company while never ceasing to be who we are. Okay, FAQ 12. Will we be united with family and friends in heaven? Well, that's a question I think we all want to ask. If people retain their identity, this implies that we'll be reunited with them. 1 Thessalonians 4 offers exactly that kind of reassurance. Verse 18 says, Comfort one another with these words. That comfort comes from the prospect of reunion, not only with Christ, but those other believers who've already died. Some Thessalonian Christians were afraid that others of them who'd already died might miss out on the second coming of Christ. And Paul encouraged those fearful believers to comfort one another, assuring them that those who had died would not miss out on his coming again. And Christ would come bringing believers who have died with him and will give them and those who are still alive glorified, perfected bodies. Perfected bodies. And we'll all be together forever from that point on. Since we will know everyone, we'll therefore know our loved ones. According to Thessalonians chapter 4, God communicates the truth of the resurrection to comfort believers who've experienced the death of believing family and friends. And perhaps you're struggling over the recent death of someone you love or someone you know recently experienced the death of a believing friend or a family member. First Thessalonians gives you hope says in this translation there will be one huge family reunion with the master so reassure one another with these words uh, incidentally there's going to be a lot of new friends to meet including the angels to the angels it says we'll be a source of eternal joy they will love us they'll be thrilled with what God has done to perfect us and bring us to the holy presence of the God whom they have been worshipping and adoring. And we will commune with angels and rejoice with them and praise God with them. And although it's hard to understand, we'll actually rule over them. 1 Corinthians 6.3 says, Do you not know that we will judge angels? Blows my mind a bit when I think about that. Revelation 3.21, Christ says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne 
as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. God has promised that we will sit on the throne of Christ with Christ at God's right hand. And we will reign and angels will serve. Actually, we will serve too. But. And all the saints who have died are now in heaven without their bodies. We talked about that last time. Hebrews 12.22 makes that clear. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of where the living God resides. And the invisible Jerusalem is populated by throngs of angels and Christian citizens. This is the um, message. The invisible Jerusalem is populated by angels and Christian citizens. It's the city where God is judged with judgments that make us just. Now, unfortunately, I have, if I'm to be true to the scriptures, I have to keep foreshadowing a very sobering addition to what I've been saying. This will not be a reunion of all your family and friends. It will only be for those who've made the critical decision during this lifetime to trust and follow Jesus, the Son of God, and invest their hopes and treasures not in this world, but in the world to come. The Bible does not offer the same promise to those who die as unbelievers. They elect, or perhaps self-select, during this lifetime to go to another place. They book their seat on a different journey, which the Bible says results in the most devastating and tormenting consequence ever to be experienced by human beings. Now I've got family and friends whom I, I desperately would love to see in heaven. But at this point, I've got no assurance that they'll be there. Okay. Next question is sort of associated with that one, FAQ 13. If you are one of the decreasing minority of people in our society who still has a deep and loving relationship with your spouse, you'll be asking, will I be married? Will there still be marriage in heaven? Will I be married to the same person in heaven? And some of us say, I don't want to lose my wife or my husband. I can't imagine going to heaven and not still being married. Will we still have family love and fellowship there? Will our relationships in heaven be like it is here? Now, when we think about those questions, it's, re it's important to remember that there we're going to be perfected. No one will ever say or do or think anything wrong. Wow. 1 Corinthians 7.31 in the living, New Living Translation says, those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. And Paul was saying in that context that some of the things that are passing away are 
marriage, weeping, grief, earthly pleasure, and personal ownership. He's saying that we should take what life offers us now, yet keep from being engulfed by it, because all of those things are part of a framework, a schema that's only temporary. And although the responsibilities and the privileges of marriage are wonderful, don't allow your marriage to become an excuse for your failure to serve God, your failure to put treasure in heaven, your failure to set your affections on things above. We must experience sorrow and joy in this life, and we do. We need to buy what we need to buy, but we must not let our relationships and our emotions and our possessions control us so that we become addicted to this present but passing world. And that doesn't mean that we're to treat our marriages as unimportant now. God's given us a wonderful gift in the present scheme of things and we need to enjoy our marriages and other relationships to the fullest. Marriage is a grace of life, 1 Peter 3, 7. However, we're to keep our marriage in proper perspective, to recognise that in its present form it will pass away. Matthew 22, verse 23 and on, it's got some interesting stories. Some Sadducees approached Jesus, and this is the party that denies any possibility of resurrection. And their rivals, the, the Pharisees, taught that after resurrection, each person would have the same relationships he has here on earth. And he would be married to the same woman and would have the same family forever. And they believed, that the, Phar the Pharisees, that the next life would be exactly like this one. But the Sadducees, this other group, they were the ruling group in Jerusalem at that time. They didn't believe that a resurrection would occur at all. Sad, you see. And therefore they tried to paint a picture, an important, absurd portrait of the Pharisees' theology in the guise of asking Jesus an innocent but loaded question. Here's what it says, Matthew 22. They asked, Teacher... Moses said that if a man dies childless, his brother is obligated to marry his widow and to get with her with child. That was the culture of that time. This was social welfare. And here's a case, they said. There were seven brothers. The first brother married and died, leaving no child, and his wife passed to his brother. And the second brother also left her childless, then the third, and on and on, all seven. Wow. <laughs> Eventually, the wife died. Now, here's the question, they said. At the resurrection, Jesus, whose wife is she? She was a wife to each of them. And Jesus answered, you're off base on two counts. One, you don't know your Bibles, and two, you don't know how God works. 
This is what Jesus said. At the resurrection, we're beyond marriage. As with the angels, all our ecstasies and intimacies are going to be with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. So why won't there be marriage in heaven? Because it won't be needed. God created marriage because man needed a helper and companion. And together both husband and wife were to produce children. In heaven, man or woman won't need a helper because he, she will be perfected. And no one will be born in heaven because only the redeemed people can be there. So someone's thinking, okay, but I'm happily married, as I am, thankfully. I love my wife. She's my best friend, my dearest companion in every area of my life. Well, that's wonderful. And you'll enjoy that kind of companionship with her in heaven and with every other person in heaven forever. If having such a deep relationship perfected to the with your spouse right here and now is so wonderful imagine how wonderful it is to enjoy the best of human relationships perfected to the point that you can enjoy every other relationship equally with every other human being now that's beyond my imagination i can't cope with that can't understand that it's a bit scary because in my life now i'm flat out coping with about 20 or 30 people of my friends don't give me any more but somehow in heaven my social capacity for friends will be multiplied exponentially If your marriage has not been wonderful or successful in this life, good news, God's going to fix both of you or all of you if it's been more than one marriage. And all believers as believers, the misunderstandings, the animosities, the barriers will be transformed again to selfless love. So will I be sad in heaven? FAQ 14. What about departure time? What about the moment of dying? Should I be scared? No. Remember where you're going and who's waiting. Perhaps the clearest description in the Bible is the point of departure or the transition from this life via death to a heaven for a believer is seen in the story of Stephen. Acts 7.54, it says, At that point the crowd went wild, really, really annoyed by what this disciple Stephen had been telling them about Jesus. But Stephen, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed, he only had eyes for God, 
whom he saw in all his glory with Jesus standing at his side. And he said, I see heaven wide open and the Son of Man standing at God's side. And as the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. And then he died. Okay, I gave you a couple of diagrams that we looked at last time. But what about when I get there? What about my loved ones that have decided that they don't want to get to heaven? Won't I be sad about them? Won't I be devastated? Well, from this side, I think I will be. But in Revelation 21 verse 3, it says that somehow God's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears are gone, crying's gone, pain's gone, all the way things used to be gone. Fellowship will exist without tears, without separation, without pain, without death, without anxiety, without sorrow. And the things that make relationships difficult for us here on earth will be removed. We'll, we'll, we'll have relationships with others such as we've never had on this earth. No needs for psychologists or counsellors. They'll all be out of a job. Now, many of you, I know, already have some understanding of how that can happen. You've already lost a person that you love dearly. You've felt the bottomless grief of that loss. And at the time, it seemed like you would never recover. But as time moves on, your spirit has healed. And other loved ones and other relationships and other experiences have replaced those memories. The pain has been muted. And although you will never forget, the deep hurt has gone. And how will that happen in, in heaven? Revelation again, 21 verse 3. God has moved into the neighbourhood. He's beside you making his home with you. You're his people, his family. He's your God. This is his, it says, family reunion. And he'll wipe every tear from your eyes and death will be gone for good. Tears gone, crying gone, pain gone, all the way things used to be gone. Okay. There's three sermons that I've been privileged to share with you about heaven as it exists today. Now, I don't have time to explain what will happen in that coming event yet to happen called the second coming of Christ and the following reign of Christ on this earth, except to say this, those in heaven today aren't finished yet. Their story will continue the day is coming when God will recover their earthly ashes and reunite them with their heavenly spirit. And for the first time ever, those heavenly believers will have a spiritual body, as I said, just like Jesus after the resurrection. And those in Hades aren't finished yet either. 
the torment of Hades will be interrupted by the final judgment and those without faith in Jesus will be consigned to the ultimate awful hell. Okay, so what will we do in heaven? Number 17. We'll work, but heavenly work will be restful work. And heavenly work will be joyful work. We will have jobs to do. Revelations 14. Uh, 22, sorry. In the new Jerusalem, the Christ is on the throne and his servants will serve him. The idea of heaven being a place where we, we lounge around on cloud nine uh, playing our guitars, uh, that's not actually in the Bible. Our job in eternity will simply be to serve the Lord in a perfect environment. God created us all to work right from the beginning in Eden. Right in the beginning, Adam and Eve were given jobs to do that were fulfilling, invigorating, providing a sense of purpose. And only after the introduction of sin into this world did man's job become difficult. So while work is good, the painful toil we experience today is a result of living in a fallen world. And the problem is that many things get in the way of enjoying a job. Interpersonal problems, mismanagement, unrealistic demands, physical or mental fatigue. In contrast, work in heaven will be pleasant and satisfying. There'll be no interpersonal conflicts, impractical expectations or fatigue, and we'll have a perfect manager. We'll have work to do, satisfying and enriching work that we can't wait to get back to that won't ever be drudgery. God describes himself as a worker and we shall be like him too. The work that Christians perform in heaven will itself be an act of worship, bringing glory to the Lord. The difference will be that in eternity, the work that God has prepared for us will be instantly rewarding, constantly refreshing, perfectly suited for who we are and who we were uniquely created to be. You'll love your work in heaven. Okay, conclusion. Are you ready to go? I'm aware that there will be some here today in an average congregation who are not quite sure you're going to heaven. The hard facts are that if you have never never personally handed over who you are to Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as boss and master of your life, if you've never been what the Bible calls born again, you won't be going to heaven. And, and I would <laughs> urge you, <laughs> beg you, plead with you as friends old and new, <laughs> don't leave this building today without the assurance that you will 
go to heaven. There, there are many others, most of you probably here in this room today, who are only, you're looking forward to it. You know you're going to be there. And you're also dead keen, pardon the pun, to help others to this greatest family reunion ever to be held. Well, I'm inviting you, if, if you're not sure about where you're going after this life, come talk to some of those people down here. Uh, I've got some brochures that Graham Jones has picked up called The Way to Heaven. There's a pile of them there. If you're not sure, come and grab one of those. Sit and talk with somebody. Ask questions. This is serious stuff. If you have to hurry away, you could indicate that you want to further information by making a note on one of those cards that Pastor Andrew mentioned before. Send an email or a text. But please, please, think carefully about where you want your life to end up. It's either heaven or hell. And it's your decision. Lord God, as we sit in your invisible presence this day, we ask that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, discerning exactly what we think and feel, the decisions we make, may that same Holy Spirit work to salvage lives, to set lives in new directions here and now, as well as then to come. Amen. I